This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to Hebrews chapter 11. We continue our study of Hebrews and uh, particularly our, our study of this great chapter, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews that looks at the whole subject of faith and uh, does define faith in an abstract way, uh, but most helpfully fleshes out faith in very concrete situations by looking at various characters, most of whom are well-known from the Old Testament, and seeing how their lives typified faith. And so tonight, we are looking at Abraham, who has a a fairly lengthy uh, section here in this chapter, uh, which is is fitting. Abraham is known as the man of faith, the believing Abraham. And so tonight we're looking at Abraham who had faith to see. So we begin our reading in verse 8 and uh, continue through 16. Hear the word of God. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. They had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out. They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And we pray as we study it that you would teach us, that you would give us alert minds, Lord, to consider, to think about these things that we find in your word. And we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith means to see. It means to see things that you can't see with your eyes. It means to see things that other people may not see. In the beginning of this chapter, that is essentially what the writer to the Hebrews says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And as Paul uh, states, who hopes for what he already has, 
it is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Not seen with the physical eyes, but seen with the eyes of faith. Now, as we've looked at these various men, their faith expresses itself in different ways. It's described here, Noah, who had faith to act at God's command. Well, looking at Abraham, Abraham had faith to see, to see what God had promised him, uh, to see what was before him, and ultimately to see what he himself did not receive in this world. Now, as we look at Abraham, let's just learn a couple of lessons here. First of all, we must live by faith. It's stated in other places in Scripture. We know that. Uh, And we certainly know that we are saved by faith, uh, that we are saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Uh, Certainly that's what it means, that the just shall live by faith. We, We live by our faith in Christ. But it goes beyond that. Having trusted in Christ, we live in terms of going through each day by faith in the Word of God, by faith in the promises of God. Uh, as we've seen with Noah, even when that those promises may not seem to make a whole lot of sense, uh, when the world is telling us otherwise, or uh, we live by faith in those things that God has promised that we don't see. And we may not see how those things can come to pass. And that's exactly where Abraham was. The first lesson we learned from Abraham is that we must live by faith in the word and the promise of God. We begin... Verse 8, a couple of examples actually that are given here of Abraham living by faith. One uh, is his travel plans, that he went out, he left, he went where God told him. And the other is his family, his children. So first of all, by faith, Abraham went out to a foreign land. Verse 8, he obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God just said, Abraham, uh, I want you to leave uh, your place, leave Ur, leave your family, uh, leave where you've been, and go out to a new place that I will show you. At first, God didn't tell him where he was going, didn't tell him what was going on. What does Abraham do? Well, that's exactly what he does. He, he obeys the instructions that God gave to him. The writer to the Hebrews says that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, couldn't see where he was going. He he simply knew God had told him to go. By faith, verse 9, he went to live in the land of promise. Well, that's encouraging. That's hopeful. As in a foreign land. Now, this was was the land God had promised to him. This was the land God had told him he was going to have as an inheritance. And yet, to him, it was a foreign land. It It was a foreign place. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. A place... Where, for Abraham, this was going to be his land, this was going to be his home, this was going to be his inheritance, but it was foreign. Uh, I remember very distinctly uh, when I finished seminary and, uh, and we went to, uh, to South Carolina where I was an assistant pastor. And the church had, uh, had interviewed me, the church had uh, voted, the session had voted to call me, I was an assistant pastor. Uh, the youth committee had interviewed me and all of that, you know, and, and wanted me to come and uh, had you know, met people in the church. But I have to admit, it was a very strange feeling because here I was their pastor, assistant pastor. 
but I really didn't know them very well. They really didn't know me very well. And on the whole, at least for a few weeks, it seemed somewhat awkward because there was supposed to be a relationship there that eventually would develop, of course. But at, the, at first, it was just sort of strange. This was a foreign town that was now my home. This was an unknown church that I was a pastor of. Um, so I think about what Abraham must have felt like to be in this land that was promised to him, that was his inheritance, and yet was a foreign place to him. God may sometimes put us in situations like that, that, that do keep us off balance, that, that are somewhat foreign. It may not be that way always, but uh, that was the case with Abraham. I uh, went to live in, a land, in the land of promise, the land promised to him, as in a foreign land. And not only so, he says, the living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Mentions uh, Abraham's children, there's descendants, Isaac and Jacob. Um, it's interesting with Isaac in Genesis that as much as we read about Isaac, we don't re- we don't read of the promises that are get- given to Abraham as given to him. Now they're there. I mean, the, the, Isaac is included, but we don't have one of those situations where the Lord comes to Isaac and, and promises these things. We do with Jacob in chapter twenty-eight, Genesis twenty-eight thirteen, of course, where he has the. The, the vision of the stairway or the ladder with the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And the Lord uh, is above it and says to Jacob there in the night, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east to the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, of course, that um, very much echoes the promise that is made to Abraham. Uh, but even he uh, did not receive the land uh, as, as Abraham did not either, and Isaac did not either. So the first thing we see is, is this call to go out to this land, and even in it, they were foreigners in it, uh, they were still living by faith because they had to see with the eyes of faith, what could not be seen with physical eyes. They looked around and they didn't see their land. They didn't see their home. And yet it was, and it would be that of their descendants. And so it says, as a way of explanation, verse 10, he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I read that and I wonder, how much did Abraham really know? You know, you, you, you remember when Jesus said to the Jews, uh, Abraham saw my day. He he rejoiced to see, he was glad. Um, What did Abraham know? What did Jesus mean by that? Well, I don't think Abraham knew all the details about Jesus. But Abraham knew that there was something in store bigger than just land that was promised to him in a certain place. And just as Jesus said that, the writer to the Hebrews makes this statement that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Designer and builder is God. So again, we get that sense that Abraham, while he was counting on the promise of God for this land, recognized that there was something bigger, something more far-reaching than just the inheritance of this land that the Lord had promised to give him. 
And so we need to recognize the same faith or develop the same faith in our own lives, in our own hearts that Abraham had, to recognize that God has promised us things. And we look for those things in this world. Some of them we may see. We may see healing. We may see blessing, prosperity. We may not live to see those things. As it's been said, ultimately in Christ, every prayer for healing will be answered. It may not be in this life, though. It may be we have to see that answer coming at the return of Christ, at the resurrection, which admittedly has such a foreign feel to it that we almost don't conceive how that will happen. And yet we see it because the scriptures say, uh, speak to us of it. God has promised that to us. Uh, we may not see answers fulfilled here in this life. The question is, are we looking forward to something bigger, something beyond just 70, 80, 90 years God gives us in this world to see that, that, that end, that return, that glory, that restoration of all things in which these things will be fulfilled, in which God's promises will be, uh, will be fulfilled completely? Uh, then if so, you're living like Abraham. Because while Abraham was counting on God to answer his promises, fulfill his promises in this world, Abraham apparently was seeing something bigger, grander, more far-reaching, more glorious, this city whose designer and builder is God himself. So by faith, Abraham was going through life looking for something God had promised promised him, and yet seeing something even grander, even bigger than that. The other way that we live by faith and illustrated in Abraham here is, is his descendants, is the, the multitude that came from him. Look at 11. Tricky verse. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she promised him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I'd say verse 11 is tricky because while Sarah seems to be the subject there, uh, there's also, in, both in terms of the text, but also translating it, how we're to understand the grammar of it, is Sarah really the subject? It could be that Sarah is mentioned almost uh, kind of as an aside, but Abraham really is the subject. The way that you would render it in that way would be something like, by faith, since Sarah was beyond childbearing age. Uh, Abraham uh, had power to conceive because the grammar there refers actually more to the male than to the female uh, in terms of conception. Um, plus, Sarah's a little problematic as an example of faith, isn't she? Because you remember her response to the promise that she would have a child. What did she do? Laughed. And the Lord confronts her about laughing, and what does she do? Denies everything. I didn't laugh. Ah, but you did, said the Lord. So it's almost strange, and, and honestly, I'm not sure exactly which way to take it, uh, which would be the right understanding of it. The focus here seems to be on Abraham, and it seems to fit well going into verse 12, to say, by faith, since Sarah was past childbearing, uh, Abraham had power to conceive um, it's difficult. The ESV could well be right, too, with Sarah as the subject, certainly together with Abraham. Uh, 
but the point was they had children when they had no business having children because God had said they would do it. And then God waited a much longer time just to make it plain. There's no way they're having children unless God gives them children. Uh, whether it's Sarah or Abraham here, uh, they had to look to God, and it's God himself who answered that promise. And so verse 12, from one man, him as good as dead, uh, were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore, echoing the language of the promise made to Abraham, which of course happened physically. Uh, with Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, and then the, 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 the children of Jacob, the tribes of Israel, uh, it did become a great crowd uh, that came out of Egypt and then conquered Canaan and uh, settled in the Promised Land. Uh, but, of course, we know the rest of the story scripturally. As Paul says in Romans 4, Galatians 3, that the true fulfillment of that promise, in keeping with the nature of Abraham's life, who was looking for a city with foundations, whose builder and designer is God, uh, even his descendants weren't the physical descendants, as numerous as they were, but a far grander number of descendants according to the faith of Abraham, not the flesh of Abraham. And as Paul uh, takes pains to emphasize, those are the true descendants of Abraham. You and I are the true descendants of Abraham uh, who follow in his faith who trust in his promises, who trust in Christ, who are adopted children of God. We, too, are heirs of those promises that are made to Abraham. Paul says that a Jew is not a Jew who's just one outwardly, but inwardly. This experience, that circumcision of the heart, done without hands, without human hands, but done by the Holy Spirit of God, the end of Romans 2. So Abraham is put before us as an example of living by faith both in his, his willingness to follow the command of God, to, to go and to see a fulfillment that was even grander than this land God had promised him, uh, and trusting God, uh, although not perfectly, to be sure, but that God would give them the children he promised. But Abraham didn't just live by faith. That's important. But he didn't do that, just that. Abraham also died in faith. In, in, in both ways, physical and spiritual, Abraham did not live to see the fulfillment of the promises that God had made to him. And in some ways, that almost seems in, uh, uh, tragic in a sense. You know, when I think about that, when Abraham received these promises, he so faithfully followed the Lord, um, waited on the Lord, and ultimately did not live to see the fulfillment. It sort of reminds me of a character figure, you know, who lived in the 20th century, A.W. Pink. Pink lived a hard life. Many of you have, have read or at least heard of his writings. Um, Pink lived in Europe. He lived in the United States. In fact, he was a pastor in Spartanburg for a while and also in Colorado, in Australia. Finally lived out his days in the north of Scotland, in Stornoway, on the Isle of Lewis. And Pink had sort of a remnant mentality that was very discouraging. He was reformed, uh, and yet he, did not, he, he didn't know too many people who were. And he sort of saw himself as, as the last of a dying breed and was honestly discouraged about the state of the church. And uh, 
Ian Murray, in his biography of Pink, uh, which I, I highly recommend, um, very interesting, Pink was converted as a young, young man out of spiritism, seances, and all of that. In fact, he was planning to go to India and, and sort of study under some guru uh, when the Lord converted him, uh, apparently through the, in answer to the prayers of his parents. Uh, but in his early 20s, he was very much into spiritism, seances. Um, but he uh, apparently was not aware of, uh, of, of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, later in his life ministering in Wales. Maybe he knew of him. I don't know. He didn't seem to realize much of what was going on. And Pink died a discouraged man. And yet it was not very long after his life, after he died, that there began to be a resurgence in Reformed theology, uh, in part through the influence of Pink's writings. But he never lived to see it. He didn't live uh, to see what began with Lloyd-Jones and, and others in the, in the mid-50s, uh, which actually continues up to the present day, uh, where there seems to be a burgeoning movement among many young evangelicals of, of interest in Reformed theology and, uh, and doctrine. And that's exciting to see. But Pink, Pink died thinking this was dying. He didn't live to see the fulfillment of what he had prayed for, what he had written about, uh, and so forth. Well, what about Abraham? Abraham didn't live to see. Certainly didn't live to see what we read about in the New Testament, uh, a real fulfillment of those promises that were made to him. Didn't really even live to see so much that the vast numbers of descendants, physical descendants, he would have in this world. So what did he think of that? Well, let's look at verses 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, he didn't receive the promise. Verse 13, these all died. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Kind of like Moses, who didn't get to go into the promised land, who died there on Mount Pisgah after looking out over the promised land, seeing it from afar, and then died. The Lord buried him. Didn't get to go in. Didn't see it except from afar. Well, that was true of Abraham, but he did see it. I think Abraham did not die a discouraged man. Pink didn't see what was coming. Abraham did. It said, having seen them and greeted them from afar, uh, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. As believers, we may die before seeing the fulfillment of so much of what we hope for. And yet we'll see it. Uh, we'll be, our soul will be with the Lord in heaven. And with the return of Christ, our bodies raised up, glorified, soul and body reunited to live forever in, in a new earth that is remade, that has continuity with this earth. It's called the new earth, after all. Um, Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven speculates, will, will the geography be similar? Will we visit the Grand Canyon in the new earth? What will... What will it look like? Uh, well, whatever it looks like, it will be without sin. It will be without sickness. It will be without disease. It will be without injury. It will be without wars uh, and all of those kinds of things that are just part and parcel of a fallen world. Um, but as we live by faith, we should die in faith with the anticipation that upon our death we'll be with the Lord and to be able to see only if at that point from afar that there is a glory coming uh, that is so great that, as Paul says, that the pains of this world are not even worth comparing with it. 
and the pains of this world can be considerable. But they're not worth comparing with glory to come. Yes, we want to live in faith, but we also want to die in faith, in anticipation of what is to come. Acknowledging with Abraham that we're strangers, we're exiles here. We're looking forward to that better country. And that brings us to 14, 15, 16. People who speak thus, people who consider themselves to be exiles, consider this not to be our true home, but a foreign land. Make it clear, he says, they're seeking a homeland. Now, if they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham could have returned to Ur. But it wouldn't have been home. For Abraham to think of going home didn't mean going to Ur. It meant going to Canaan. That was home. In fact, so strongly was that, that sense that Canaan, even if it was a foreign land, even if he was living in tents there, was home, that when he is looking for a wife for Isaac, he says twice to his servant, and this is Genesis 24, verse 5. The servant said to him, Abraham, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring, I will give this land He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Why? Because that wasn't home. That may have been where he came from, but it wasn't home. As he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Isaac wasn't to go back. The woman wouldn't come where he was. He was not to go back where she was. And so the servant swears that he won't take Isaac back to Ur, back to where they had come from, because the land the Lord had promised him, this land, Canaan. And so that's what he's saying here. They'd been thinking of the land for which they'd gone out. They would have had opportunity to return. They weren't. As it is, they desire a better country, not Canaan, a heavenly one. And so we die in faith looking for that better country, looking for whether you want the image of a country, the land, or the image of the city whose uh, builder is, is God. That's what we're looking for. This world is not our home. We don't die with a sense of loss. Oh, you know, I hope heaven is, is you know, is half as good as this world has been. Well, that would only be spoken by wealthy Westerners, I suppose. Most people would say good riddance. Um, in our comfort here, we sort of get the suspicion somehow we might be losers by heaven. Uh, no, we, we don't look back. We're looking forward. We die looking forward to that land, to that city, to that new Jerusalem, to that new earth that God has in store for us. Because that is home. That is the land the Lord has promised to us. Live in faith, yes. Die in faith. And you'll be willing to die if you have that faith before you, to die looking for that better country. And notice the Lord's reaction, verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? For he has prepared for them a city. We talked recently in Second Timothy about not being ashamed of the Lord, not being ashamed of his gospel. 
Uh, we made reference, I think, a couple of weeks ago to Jesus' statement. Whoever's ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. So the, the scriptures warn us not to be ashamed of the Lord, not to be ashamed of the gospel. But it also speaks of, of the Lord potentially being ashamed of us. And that's not the case here. Because they live by faith, because they died in faith, God wasn't ashamed of them. In fact, if we flip that, you'd say God is proud of them. Because they had the faith to see what can't be seen with human eyes. They had the faith to see what is invisible, perhaps, to others. But Abraham saw it. He lived by faith in it. He died by faith in it. How about you? Let's pray. Father, give us that faith. Give us that sight to see. Help us, Lord, to see with the eyes of faith that land that you've promised us. To see with the eyes of faith that city that you have built for us. And to long for that, Lord, as we long for home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.